All right, Second Peter, chapter two, starting in verses ten b through sixteen. And I'll go ahead and read the text for us. Of course, Peter is continuing his discussion of these false teachers that they were that he was warning the people of in his day, and he says this in ten b, daring, describing them, daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaken the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, Speaking with the voice of a man, restrain the madness of the prophet. Alright, so we are continuing today in our discussion of these false teachers. The title of the message today is called The Madness of False Teachers. The Madness of False Teachers. And quickly by way of review, really just looking at chapter 2 in verses 1 through 3. We looked at a couple weeks ago. Basically, Peter was telling his readers he was... He was basically just describing in a very in a very broad way, just really summing up the sins of these false teachers in the first few verses. Um, you know, of course, he told them that they would secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And so we talked about that, what that word denying means. It just means refuse. The idea that these men refuse the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, that's, I think I've said a few times, he, he doesn't really pinpoint what some of the heresies are, but I think that alone, that alone is a destructive, damning heresy. Somebody who teaches basically salvation apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that seems to be where these men are at. We're going to see more of that today. They teach that grace is a license to sin, basically, is what we're seeing. So that. That is one of the more destructive heresies in our day, I would say, in our land. Uh, preaching a gospel maybe without repentance. Preaching a gospel that doesn't call men to repent, that doesn't call men and women to bow to Christ as Lord. And what did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So that's, that's really just the heart of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. These men deny, they refuse His Lordship. And so, and then of course, in, in, in verse 2, he, he, he talked about their sensuality, their extreme sexual immorality that many sadly follow after. And basically, he's going to expound on that today, some of these things. So, they, so he talked about that in the first three verses. Uh, their greed in verse 3, how they exploit the people of God through their greed, their covetousness. And then in verses 4-10, through 10, we looked at last week, Peter comforting his readers... Knowing that, yes, they may be prospering now. It may seem like they're 
the, the, the false teachers and really just wick, the wicked in general, it seems like they just prosper, right? But he, he reminded us from three examples in the Old Testament that, that the same way God judged the rebellious angels, the same way that God judged the ancient world in Noah's day, the same way that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, He will judge these men. He will punish these men and as encouragement, comfort to the people, He will rescue God's people just like He did uh, Abraham and righteous Lot. And then, so what we're going to see in verse 10 through 16 today is basically their sins further explained. Further explained. Now one particular sin that he's really going to really start out with today that he didn't mention in the first three verses is their, their pride. These men are very proud. These men are very, very arrogant men. And, um, and that would be true for all false teachers. There's a, there's a sense of arrogance about them. So he's, good, he's really going to start off our text today in the first two and a half verses just talking more about their, their arrogance that drives them to do some of the things they do. John MacArthur says this, and I quote him, he says, ever since Satan's initial rebellion, pride has been the primary characteristic of God's enemies. And of course we saw that in the, in the garden. Or, or I mean, in, I'm sorry, not in the garden, but in, in heaven. Lucifer was proud, and he was banished because of his pride. And so that's what we see, uh, guys. Down, you know, when we think about, like MacArthur says, when we think about God's enemies, what, what, is, what does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? Everyone who exalts himself, they're, they're going to be humbled. But it's those who humble themselves, right? That's the, that's the plea of the gospel humble yourself before a holy God. And, you, and, and, and you'll be exalted on that day. But that's what we see in the text. When you think about some of, some of the enemies of God in, in, the, in the Scriptures, maybe some that are, that are leaders, like mighty powerful men. We'll just, we'll just look at three of them. Think of three of them. As far as, as, as far as kind of bouncing off what MacArthur said, pride being the, pride being the, the issue with, with these men. Think about Pharaoh. Okay? You remember Pharaoh and God commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron, and, and to tell Pharaoh to let, to let my people go, right? Meet Moses. We're going to go to this mighty King Pharaoh and, uh, and say, Thus saith the Lord, you're to let my people go. Do you guys remember Pharaoh's response? Listen, listen to, the, to the pride in this response. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Do you hear that? Do you hear the arrogance? And, and of course, we know what happened to Pharaoh. He drowned in a watery grave. And, um, and so he knows who the Lord is now. Uh, think of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in Daniel's day. He gave himself credit and, and power and really glory for building up Babylon the Great. It was a mighty, mighty city. Mighty region. And he gave himself credit. And God warned him that he would be driven away for seven years to live literally like an animal. To eat the grass of the field on all fours like an animal. Why? Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler of all and bestows these things on whom He wishes. He was humble. And then think about Herod 
in Acts chapter 12. If you guys remember this account, he was addressing the people of that time. And the people cried out, the voice of a God, or the voice of God and not of a man. And instead of saying, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, please don't do that. Because he did not give God the glory, God struck him. He struck him and he was eaten by worms and died. These are just examples of what God thinks of arrogance and pride. And so, that's what we see uh, that, that, that arrogance... Arrogance of men, beloved, drives people to madness. To steal the word from the text today. It drives people to foolishness. Arrogance does. And as we're going to see today, it's no different with these men that Peter are dealing with. So, let's look at this. We're going to go through 10 verse, through verse 16. Uh, outlines on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. The thing I want you to consider today is this. The proposition that I, that I bring to you today that really just comes from the text and, and, and we'll try to, try to uh, dig it out of it. It'll be revealed in the outline, hopefully straight from the text, is this. That you guys need to, you need to be on guard, okay? You need to be on guard and realize that false teachers want to corrupt God's people through their arrogance, lust, and greed, and that they need to be rebuked. Okay, that's what we're going to see in our text today. And so we'll uh, we'll just kind of unpack that statement as we go throughout. So how do they corrupt God's people? That's the question I pose to you that we're going to answer in the first two points today. How do they corrupt God's people? First of all, they corrupt through their arrogance. Through their arrogance. In 10b, let's look at 10... 10, uh, verse, verse 10, part B. The NAS says this, Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. These men, he says, are daring and self-willed. The idea being they are reckless in their arrogance. They are reckless. They are not only arrogant, they are boldly arrogant, these men are. It's, it's self-pleasing self-gratifying conceit, okay? So it's not just arrogance, it's even stronger than that. I thought of um, I thought of maybe false teachers in our day that have made this statement. Maybe some of you guys have heard this statement. It's called the little God's doctrine. We are gods. Have any of you guys heard that? I see some heads nodding. Can you think of anything that is more boldly arrogant than to say, we are gods. Men like Creflo Dollar not only say it, but they say it very arrogantly, say it very boldly. Kenneth Copeland is one. A guy by the name of Stephen Furtick is one. And I went back just so that I would not misspeak. He not only said that he's a god, he said, I am God Almighty. And beloved, did you know that Stephen Furtick went to Southern Theological Seminary, a Southern Baptist seminary, that his church, uh, called Elevation Church, if I'm not mistaken, and there's like 20 different campuses, is affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. Unless I'm mistaken, I, I think that's still a fact. This man has said, he can say whatever, but I've heard him say, I'm God. It's this little God's doctrine. That I am God Almighty. 
This is blasphemous language. I can't even imagine saying that just joking. Blasphemous. And it says they do not tremble. These these daring, self-willed, false teachers, he says they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Now, Now the phrase, they do not tremble, I mean, obviously, they're not going to tremble. We're going to talk about who these angelic majesties. They, again, these are men who, they refuse the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, of course, they're not going to tremble. What does the Scripture say about the demons That in James's argument? You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. They tremble at God. These men don't tremble. And it says... And it says that when they revile the angelic majesties. I've told you guys the last, I think, two weeks, there's like three weeks in a row, guys, where there's like three difficult passages in this text. There's not a whole lot of like what you call difficult passages in the Bible. Well, Second Peter's got three of them, meaning that there's, that there's a few different interpretations. I think today, I think it's pretty clear once we unpack this, what he's referring to, these angelic majesties. But let's look at that. Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. When they revile. This this word angelic majesties, guys, the the word means glories. Okay, Glories or glorious ones. And this could refer to, it could refer to humans. Meaning church leaders or civil authorities, those in authority whom God has placed in authority. But it doesn't fit the context, okay? As hopefully you'll see. We're going to look at it in just a moment because verse 11 serves as a contrast. Hopefully you'll be able to see it clearly here in just a moment. I'll just say this. Most commentators think that this angelic majesty, that it's referring to demons, okay? It's referring to angels, but fallen angels. And you may think, but it says... Angelic majesties are glorious ones. The idea meaning they're glorious in the sense that they're a supernatural being. Okay, they're a supernatural being beyond the human level, and, it, and they still have a. It's a shadow of their pre-fallen glory. And so it says these men they don't tremble when they revile. The word means to slander, or I think even to help our understanding even more so, it means to speak lightly of. Okay, They don't revile when they speak lightly of these angelic majesties. Meaning this, guys. Do we understand how powerful demons are? Demons are powerful. They are much more powerful than you and I. And so basically what Peter's saying, they mock the power of the angelic world. They mock them. In Daniel, for example, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, there was a powerful demon who hindered the angel Gabriel for 21 days from doing God's work until Michael, the archangel, came to his assistance. Demons are powerful, beloved. They're very, very powerful. But you think of, even in our day, many of the modern charismatic teachers, they make fortunes by supposedly bossing demons around. And I think that's what Peter's getting at. These men mock the power of the supernatural. 
But men, they make fortunes. Again, in their greed, they exploit people, these people that we talked about a couple weeks ago, by bossing supposedly demons around, by casting them out here and there, by one of their favorite words, binding them. Beloved, they don't have a proper respect of them. That's what Peter's saying. They don't have a proper respect of the demonic realm, of of the angelic realm, of the spiritual realm. They don't have a proper respect of Jesus Christ. They refuse His Lordship. Maybe these men didn't even believe in them to begin with. After all, they deny His Lordship. They deny His authority. They deny His coming judgment that we're going to see in chapter 3. So with that, I would assume they, they deny the authority of God's Word. They would obviously deny and laugh at the fact that outside of Christ, they are called children of the devil. It's all a joke to them. But I think that's what's going on here. And I think we can see it real clearly when we look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says this, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Obviously, angels angels are greater than men and demons, right? The holy angels. But even they don't disrespect their fallen counterparts like these false teachers do. And I think Jude really helps us see. Remember how I told you guys Jude and 2 Peter are very, very similar. Look at Jude, just, just over to your right, a few pages. Don't go too fast or you'll skip it. Jude, verses 8 and 9, a very, very similar, almost parallel passage. And I think Jude gives us clarity to what Peter's referring to. And I think it's crystal clear. Jude, verse 8 and 9, Again, the context of Jude is false teachers, okay? He says, Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But, in verse 9, Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said what? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. We see even the archangel Michael depending upon the Lord in his battle against a fallen angel. In this case, the devil. Beloved, what does this tell us right here today, here and now? Don't go around foolishly rebuking the devil. You and I don't have that kind of power. Okay? We should do as we see the example of literally the holy angel, the powerful angel, Michael, do what he did. What? Seek God's help. And how do we seek God's help, beloved? Through the Scriptures, through the truth of the Word of God. That is how you and I do battle with the enemy. Through the truth. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us. Right? We fight with the sword of the Spirit. We don't go around rebuking the devil. I know that may be popular in a, in a lot of um, circles, but it's not in the Scriptures. We don't have apostolic power. These, were, these men were commissioned by God for these miraculous gifts. You and I don't have that. Our help comes from the Lord. 
And it says this in verse 11. It says, Whereas angels who are greater in my empire do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Don't bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. The holy angels, they have reason to charge, to bring a charge against those who have rebelled, these fallen angels. They would have reason. But what do we see in the Scriptures? Michael being the example, they rely on the Lord's help. And Gabriel as well in the, in the Old Testament and Daniel. He relied on the Lord sending Michael. These are examples for us. When battling these rebel demons, we see even the angels relying on the Lord's help and they also leave the matter of judgment to the Lord as well. And so you and I, can we, can we can learn from that as well, beloved. There's a lesson for you and I to deal humbly not only with our enemy, we need to have a healthy respect, guys, for the demonic realm. We need to have a healthy respect for the devil. A healthy respect. Yes, Christ is king. Christ is conquered. Okay? But you and I are not Christ. Okay? And we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble in these areas. We're also, but we're also to leave the judgment to the Lord as well. To deal humbly not only with our enemy, but with other people. We're not the judge. Right? We're not the judge. We need to be very careful about pronouncing any kind of judgment on anybody. As James reminds us, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So we can really, we can really learn some humility here with these things. But he says this in verse 12, but these, talking about these false teachers, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling, that's where we see the, still the arrogance, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. These men like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct. Simply saying, guys, animals are void of reason. Are they not? We are made in the image of God and the beasts of the field are not. Very, very simple. We make decisions. We reason things through. Animals simply rely on their created instinct. Right? And follow their appetite. That's all Peter's saying. He's making the comparison. And, and the phrase to be captured and killed, it's a picture of of the fate of the animals who are hunted and killed. That's the picture. That's the picture. And he, and he compares these false teachers to these animals. These men boast about having knowledge, right? Secret knowledge. They boast about being wise and clever, but Peter is saying that these men are like animals. They're like the beasts of the field who are governed not by reason, not by wisdom, not by knowledge and much less the Spirit of God. But these men are governed by the flesh. These men are governed by their passions. By their lust. By their gross immorality. That's what Peter is saying. They're no different than the beasts of the field. And just like their fate, those animals who are hunted 
to be captured and killed, that these men, their fate is no different. They were going to fall under the judgment of God. True Christians, beloved, share, and, and Peter says in chapter 1, verse 4, says, For by these He has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. True believers share in the divine nature. He's saying these men don't. They have more in common with animals than they do sharing in the divine nature. Again, believe in their wives. The false teachers, they believe they're wise, but they're demonstrating their foolishness. How? In verse 12, by reviling where they have no knowledge. They are demonstrating their utter foolishness by reviling where they have no knowledge. That phrase, reviling something or someone where you have no knowledge, I think of the cross when Jesus Christ was upon the cross. And you think about the Romans, right? Or the, or the, the Jewish leaders who had Him put on the cross. And you think about the Romans who were carrying out the execution. And it was like a big laughing, mocking celebration, was it not? Mocking the Son of God as He hung upon the cross. Do you guys remember one of the things that Jesus said to the Father about the people? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's this language. I mean, how much more could this statement be true than on the cross of Jesus Christ when He is hanging between heaven and earth, the, the, the man who is fully God, who came to, to pay for the sins of the very ones who put Him there, the ones who nailed His hands there, so that they could go free and they're mocking something they don't understand. And people today do the same thing, do they not? It, just the cross of Jesus Christ. You can, you can see it in their face. The foolishness that the cross is to this world. They don't understand. They don't understand that on that cross, at like the sun we sang, is where He bore the wrath of God so that they could go free. So that they could escape their hell-bound race that they're on. But the world mocks. These men, it says, they revile what they don't understand. Probably specifically referring to the demonic realm, but the spiritual realm in general. These men don't understand. They revile. They blaspheme. They slander. In, in, in just a lack of respect and reverence for these things. The demonic world, the angelic world, God Himself, Christ, His Gospel, they don't understand this. These men are unregenerate. They're arrogant. And they revile what they don't understand. And they, they, dis, they display their utter foolishness as a result. They are darkened, like Paul says, and their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That's who these men are. Their minds are darkened like any other unregenerate person. And sinners in general do this continually. Reviling things they don't understand. Using words like hell and damn in their jokes. Not realizing that hell awaits them. That's why Christ came. To save us from the consequence of our sins. 
using words like damn and blaspheming God and uses His name in vain and these things, not understanding what that word signifies. That those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ are damned. That's not a thing to joke about. It's not a word to throw out flippantly. But that's what the ignorant, meaning the ignorant, those who are in their sins, their understanding is darkened. They have no understanding of these things. And they blaspheme God. These false teachers do this. Or maybe about the existence of and the power and influence of the devil himself. You know, that's one of the lies of the devil just to get people to think he doesn't exist. The deceptions are never ending. And it reminds me of 1 John 5.19. The whole world, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you guys remember the illustration I, I shared with you? What that means, literally? What that phrase means is the devil is in his rocking chair and the, the world is in his lap and he's just rocking them to sleep. They're blind. Jud- judgment's coming. They have no understanding of these things and they mock these very things. That's what, that's what this phrase means. But it says at the end of verse 12, they will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Don't let that language confuse you. It just means that judgment day is coming for them. That's all it means. Listen to Psalm 49.20. Very, very, very similar language. Man in his pomp, his arrogance, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. That's all Peter's saying. Just like the beasts that 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 are literally created to, to be trapped and captured. That's the path of these men. The very judgment that they mock. Look at chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 12 that we'll get to here in the coming weeks. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It doesn't matter what you and I's opinion is of that, that day is coming. That day is coming. Listen, listen to Jude. Listen to Jude, verse twenty-three. It says, "For the the Lord comes." Where's that verse? That it just came to my mind. Um, it's in Jude, and he said, "Anyway, it's talking about when the Lord comes with His mighty angels." Uh, where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry guys, it just came to my mind. But I wanted to show you how much it says. Here it is. Here it is, Jude 15. I'm sorry. 14 and 15. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones, okay? With many thousands of His holy ones. That means His holy angels. To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. God is coming. Christ is coming to judge the ungodly. He's coming to judge the ungodly. And in verse 12 and in Second Peter 3, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements with melt with intense heat. They mock this day. They mock the coming of the Lord. 
And that very day is coming. That very day is coming for them. And so first of all, what do we see? They corrupt. False teachers corrupt God's people through their arrogance. Secondly, we see they corrupt through their lust and greed in verses 13 and 14. And so you need to be on guard. You need to be on guard for these things. You need to realize that these are, these are real life truths even in our day. That false teachers are out there. They're described as wolves. They don't have your best interests in mind. They want to lead you astray from the truth. They're greedy, they're lustful, and they're arrogant. They're, through their lust and greed, secondly, we see in verse 13 and 14, says this, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. That phrase just simply means they're going to reap what they sow. That's all it means. They're going to reap what they sow in final judgment. And it says they, they count it as a pleasure to revel in the daytime. To revel in the daytime. I'm going to read the rest of it. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. So we're seeing that through their lust and greed, they corrupt. They count it a pleasure to, to revel in daytime. After all, these men are not fearful of judgment, right? These men are not fearful of God's judgment. They mock God's judgment. So they're, they're, they're much like Sodom, which was what we talked about last week. Remember we talked about Sodom, guys? They, they just cast off all shame. There's no shame with them. And they, and they sin openly in the daytime. They can't even wait till evening. Yeah, even the Bible talks about that some of these lifestyles are reserved for the night, right? Secret. These men can't even wait for that. They just revel in the daytime. And beloved, I remember my life as an unregenerate adult. I can understand that. When your lusts and your passions and your love for sin control you, you just sin openly and, and there's no shame. You don't care what people think because you're a slave to sin. I've been there. But it says, he describes them as stains and blemishes. Meaning filthy spots, scabs. Just picture that. Things diseased. Things diseased. We are to be... Uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 14, listen to the contrast. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's how we're to be found as Christians, Right? These men are just the opposite. He calls them stains and blemishes. It says, reviling in their deceptions, they carouse with you. They carouse with you. The word carouse, it means to eat or to entertain together. That's why some of your English versions will say feast, I believe. Feast together. It's, it's the same. He's talking about the same thing. This is probably just referring to the early churches, what they had, a love feast. They would gather and have a love feast, a meal, which would culminate with the Lord's Supper. That's what this is. And they come in there. We're going to look at it in just a little while, guys. We're going to be reminded what Paul says. How we take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Not to take it in an unworthy manner. These men even blaspheme the Lord's Supper. These men who are professing Christians, they have no fear of God. That's what Peter's saying. They deceive people. Promoting wickedness and their sensuality that he talked about earlier in the chapter. They promote these things in the lives of those who follow them. Remember it said, many follow after them in their, their gross sexual immorality. It appeals to the flesh. And so they deceive people. They lead people astray. 
pretending faith in Christ even at the Lord's table only to deceive and pollute God's people. And we talked about last week, beloved, that they're the Lord's final judgment, their destruction is not asleep. Their destruction is not asleep. Can you imagine how angry God is at watching deceivers take advantage of His people who love Him? Their judgment's coming. Their judgment's coming. And He says in verse 14, they have eyes, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls having a heart trained in greed accursed children. They literally lust after every woman they see is the language. Quite a contrast from what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in the heart. They, they, they could care less. Why? Because they refuse His Lordship. You're not going to reign over us. We'll profess Your name and we'll make a, and we'll make a uh, healthy living off of using Your name to exploit Your people. So a lot of these men are slaves to sin. That's all they are. They're slaves to sin. And there's only one way out for those who are slaves of sin. Because it's not just false teachers. Unbelievers are slaves of sin. There's no other way to put it. That's what the Scripture teaches. And there's only one way to escape that. There's only one way out. And that is through the newness of life found in Christ that sets people free. Amen? Christ sets people free from sin. There's no other way. It says they never cease from sin. These men are slaves of sin. As all are outside of Christ. But beloved, there is hope. There is hope and it is found in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 say about this, being a slave to sin. Paul says this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. In order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That's the hope for the sinner. The Bible describes us as being slaves in shackles. And that's what Isaiah the prophet prophesied about. And Jesus fulfilled that He would come and set the captives free. Can anybody else identify with this? I know in my life being saved as an adult, I was a slave to sin. Part of being a slave to sin is you don't even want to be free. But you couldn't even if you wanted until the Son set you free. And the Son can set you free from every and all sin. Every power of sin can be broken through Jesus Christ. When our old man is identified with Christ on the cross and it dies and goes into the grave and that power is broken and we're raised to walk in newness of life, which is the picture of water baptism. Or shall I say that water baptism is the picture of our old man dying and being raised from the dead. If anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. So there's hope. There's hope. But that's what these men are. They're, they're, they're slaves of sin. And it says they entice unstable souls. That, that, that language is just, is just 
The, the language of casting out a lure to the fish, right? To the unwary fish. They, they entice unstable souls. They prey on the spiritually weak. False teachers prey on the spiritually weak. These men here do. You know, beloved, there's many who will try to tell you that you can live in lust and you can live in... Uh, and I'm talking about habitual sin, habitual lust, habitual greed. You can deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you're going to be okay. That is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. They deny things, like I said a little while ago. They deny things like repentance. The Bible says God commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus' first words in His public ministry was repent and believe the Gospel. Repentance and faith always go together. Jesus said that unless you repent, you're going to perish. And this, these false teachers just seem to be that it seems to be a large part of their heresy. Using grace as a license to sin. And it says many follow after Him. That's a very popular message. Repentance is not popular at all. Repentance will get your head chopped off like John the Baptist. When he looked at Herod and said, you need to repent. What you're doing is ungodly. Sleeping with your brother's wife, I believe it was. But that's the Gospel. Repent and come to Jesus Christ. Do an about face. Come to Christ and He'll forgive you, cleanse you, give you a new heart, give you new desires, give you power over sin. Doesn't mean we'll never sin again, but the direction of our life has changed. But what is it? What is what is today? What's the what's the popular uh, gospel today? And it seems to be probably with these guys as well. The, the spirit of our age, it's all about love. Right? Just love, love, love. Love, love, love. And these kind of churches, they have huge followings and also huge bank accounts. These, these false teachers and many nowadays as well, their teaching leads, again, to a license to sin. It reminded me of the video Angela sent me. And she asked me a question. This was um, Life Church in our, in, in, you know, in our area. Life Church. This was not Life Church. This was called Wow Life World Church. Something along those lines. Trish heard me. She didn't even watch it. She just heard, heard it. It's a short video basically. It says this is one of the, the, the fastest growing churches, movements in the world. And it was just very, 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 very sensual. Very worldly, very carnal. Uh, some of the individuals were, would say things like this, there's a freedom here. There's a freedom here. There people loving on one another. It's all about you. Freedom of expression. Meaning, all of those old-fashioned words like holiness, sin, it's not here. You don't have to worry about that. We're free to express. Basically, we're free to express our sin. Express your sin any way you want. And it's all in the name of Christ. Beloved, that is misleading many people. It's going to mislead them right down the broad road until they hear on that day, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Nothing about Christ. 
Well, his name was mentioned. Nothing about sin. Nothing about truth. Basically, you just bring your own truth, right? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. It, it was very sad. But not, not surprising at all. I told Angela, I said, it reminded me of these men in this text. God's grace is a license to sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? He was dealing with the exact same issue. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. The language is God forbid. God forbid. How should we who died to sin still live in it? He says. That's the exact argument Paul's making. Whatever, whatever teachers he was dealing with was saying, hey, just sin so that grace may increase. That's not the teaching of Scripture. Paul tells Titus that the grace of God is what trains us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so he says they have a heart trained in greed. We saw their lust. It says they're also they have a heart trained in greed. The word where we get gymnasium is where this comes from. They train themselves. They are experts in greed. Remember what, remember what he said earlier? They exploit you in their greed. They take advantage of God's people, the, the ones they're supposed to be caring for, but they take advantage of them because they're greedy. They're greedy. They're experts in greed. They desire a lust for things that are forbidden. Covetousness. Things that aren't theirs. They go after out of their greed. They profit off of God's people. Some of you guys may remember uh, several months ago, I think it was when we were in our men's group. So probably in here, just I think Carl was here that day. I don't think Jamie was, but Jamie is the one who told me about this story. And I told some of the guys, an old health and wealth prosperity gospel teacher, Robert Tilton, he was caught many, many years ago. He was caught. It was one of the news shows. They caught him. They basically, his, his ministry was busted, okay? It was found out. that he, and he, he had made millions. You know, he was the guy who would sit in front of the TV and say, send me your money. Send me your money. You'll be healed. Send me your prayer requests. And so they discovered he had made millions by these lies. And basically, he would throw the, either the letters or the prayer requests that he would get, just chunk them in the trash and just making millions. But that's what these men do. Maybe not all of them make it that big, but that's what they do. That's what Peter's dealing with here. He said they're experts in greed. They exploit people in greed. They're accursed children. Isaiah 57.4 describing evil leaders of that time in the nation of Israel, it says, they're children of rebellion, offsprings of deceit. That's how you describe these men. They're offsprings of deceit. They're accursed children. God's curse is upon them. They're under the curse of God, right? Like all who are outside of Christ. God's curse is on these men. These men do not love the One who supposedly bought them. They don't love Him. What does Paul say? If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. These men don't love the one that supposedly bought them. So that's what we see. They corrupt by their arrogance. They corrupt by their lust and their greed. And thirdly, 
Lastly, how should you respond? Is the question I ask you. How should you respond? And I would say the text gives us, not just here but other places, we are to respond with a firm, loving rebuke. A firm, loving rebuke. It says this in verse 15, and this is going to be in verse 15 and 16. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. We'll stop right there for a moment. Forsaking the right way. This is a direct, deliberate rebellion against Scripture, is what this is. These men know better. These men know better. They know better and they have forsaken the narrow way in favor of the broad way. Have you guys heard of Francis Chan? This made me think of him. Because I think this is an example of that. I don't know where the guy's at now. I haven't heard him repent of any of this stuff. But Francis Chan was a, a graduate of Master Seminary. One of the finest seminaries you could go to. He pastored a church in Southern California. And at some point within the last eight years or so, he left that church and started uh, some kind of home church movement. But he started appearing with men like Todd White. These are, these are just clear false teachers. He started appearing with them. Uh, pictures of him hugging these men. Spending a lot of time with these men. Benny Hinn. Todd Bentley. If any of you guys know who Todd Bentley is. Just radical false teacher out of Florida. Uh, speaking at, at Bethel Church. Hanging out with Mike Pickle from Bethel Church, speaking at Bethel Church, part of the NAR, NAR movement, New Apostolic Reformation movement. Clearly heretical, dangerous stuff. Partnering, partnering in many cases with Roman Catholics, making the statement, and I, and I went back to look at this, making the statement that I really don't, I don't even understand what the difference between Roman Catholicism. And Christianity is. Um, really? We had this thing called the Reformation. Uh, there's one gospel, and it's not by works. And so, and so to show you, to show you that the, the the when you when you abandon the truth, and I, again, I don't know where he's at, but all I would say was avoid him. I would say avoid him. He did say this, so it doesn't look like it's getting better. This is where it leads, guys. He said, and I, and I watched this today just to be reminded, I am like God and man all at once. He was speaking of Christ, right? Being the God-man. He's not just man, which that's true, right? He's not just man, He's God. And then He said, and God says the same thing about us. Can you see the little God's doctrine starting to come out? He said, I'm like God and man all at once. Beloved, that little God's doctrine, do you understand where that originated from? In the Garden of Eden. You'll be just like God. That is the height of arrogance. That is the height of deception. God says, before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. We are not like God. We are not gods. We never will be. But the trajectory when you abandon the truth is not good. So I would say, stay away from his teaching. Hopefully he's repented. 
Hopefully he will, but stay away from his teaching. That's an example of somebody forsaking the way who knows better. And he's going to lead people astray. Says, having followed the way of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament, but he was a wicked prophet. Matthew Henry says of Balaam, he says, Balaam was among the prophets of the Lord as Judas among the apostles of Jesus Christ. And so real quickly, we'll go over the life of... uh, If you'll turn in your Bibles back to Numbers 22, and just hold it there, Numbers 22. We're going to look at about eight verses here in just a moment. But I'm just going to kind of sum up. We read about it earlier. But just to give a picture, tie all this together, how he's comparing these false teachers to Balaam. The king of Moab, we read about earlier, Balak, he wanted to weaken the children of Israel because there were so many of them. He was scared of them. And so Balak sent messengers to to Balaam and asked him to curse Israel in exchange, this is key, for a reward. Okay? Money. He was willing to do it. Balak was willing, or Balaam was willing to do it, but understood that he had no power to do it. But he, he must ask the Lord to do it. So he did. He asked the Lord to do it. God said no. Okay? Should have been the end of it right there. God said no because Israel is blessed. And so Balak sent even more messengers again, promising a handsome reward if Balaam would curse Israel. This time God said, go with them. But do only what I tell you. So the next morning we read about guys. Balaam saddled his donkey, headed to Moab, and God sent an angel to oppose Balaam on the way. But he couldn't see the angel. The donkey could see the angel, but Balaam could not. The donkey moved three times to avoid the angel, and Balaam became angry and beat the donkey. And now let's pick it up. Chapter 22, we'll read verse 28 through 35, and then I'll comment further. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. She said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from these three times, turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. So Balaam continued, after this account, Balaam continued to Moab with Balak and appealed to the Lord a few more times to curse Israel, but the Lord's answer remained the same. No, they're they're a blessed people. I'm not going to curse them. It was the same. So actually, Balaam never did actually curse Israel, although, and this is key, he would have... 
He would have done it because he was motivated by the reward. That's what's going on here. God knew his heart. God knew his motive. That's why he kept coming back. God said no. He kept coming back. But, he did devise a plan. This is in a few chapters later. He did devise a plan for Israel to curse itself. And he told his plan to Balak, who followed Balaam's advice to have Moabite women seduce Israelite men into intermarriage. As a result, Balaam led Israel into sexual immorality and idolatry, which resulted in judgment on Israel and Balaam being put to death by the sword of the men of Moses for his rebellion. And you can see that in, um, in Numbers 31, verse 16. You can see where, where Moses says that it was through Balaam's counsel that this happened. And then John even refers to it in Revelation 2, verse 14. If you want to jot those down and read that later. So what we see, beloved, here, he said, Peter says, these men have gone the way of Balaam. These men have foolishly gone the way of Balaam. What's the comparison here? Like Balaam, they have forsaken the way of truth. Like Balaam, they were consumed by greed. Like Balaam, they are leading God's people into immorality and idolatry. And like Balaam, they will experience God's judgment. This is the way of Balaam. This is the way of Balaam. Balaam would not listen to God, so he had a donkey for his teacher, is what happened in that text. His behavior was irrational. God already told him no. But he kept going back because he wanted the reward. It was irrational culminating in in being rebuked by an irrational animal. That's the irony of this. What was he describing these false teachers? They don't don't live by reason, but like animals. And they said they're going in the way of Balaam, who was rebuked by an irrational animal. And then in verse 16, in our text, it says he restrained the madness of the prophet. Verse 16 says, He received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Beloved, he was, this is madness. That's what the text says. The, The word means he's out of his right mind. He's continuing to seek the curse of Israel when God said no. He's he's in rebellion and all rebellion towards God is madness. Do you understand that? Living in rebellion towards God Almighty is madness. That's what sin drives a person to do. In this case, his greed drove him to madness. Out of his mind. This kind of arrogance. This kind of arrogance and and, and burning lust and greed leads to madness. It leads to insanity. It leads to insanity. These false teachers, that's what Peter's wrapping all this up. These false teachers like Balaam 
And all false teachers of our day are mad. They are blinded by and tools of the very one that they revile and mock. See, Peter says that they mock these angelic majesties, not even understand, as the Scripture says, that they're tools of Him to deceive. They're tools of the devil himself. And they're headed towards a fiery judgment. And we're going to see that next time as well. Madness. To go directly against the clear, simple gospel of Jesus Christ is madness. It's madness. Those who would propagate a false gospel, it's madness. I'm not trying to be insensitive. The text says it. The text compares these men to Balaam who the, the donkey had to rebuke for his madness. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple, right? Christ came into the world, born of a virgin. As a man, He lived a perfect life in our place that we couldn't live. He went to the cross where He bore our sins in His body on the cross. And what did He say? It is finished. It is finished. He went into the grave. God raised Him from the dead for our justification. Now God commands, doesn't suggest, God commands very clearly that all men ever repent and believe. That we're not saved by anything we do. We look to Christ just like the thief on the cross. What could He do? He just looked, right? He just looked at Christ. That's what He did. It was faith. To come up with another gospel is madness. To come, when Jesus said it is finished, that means it's finished. But to come up with a gospel that says, no, 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 no. You must add this. Think of the Judaizers in Galatians. They added one thing, guys. Circumcision. And Paul said, your gospel, you're a curse because of your gospel. Whoever preaches that and believes that, because as Paul says in Romans 11, verse 6, if it's by works, it no longer is grace. It's either works or grace. So to come up with another gospel is madness. To lead people in a false gospel that, say, that says the grace of God means it's just, just a license to sin. Jesus never taught repentance. That is madness. To deny the deity of Jesus Christ is madness. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. Because it's only the Jesus Christ of the Bible who can save us. You could go on and on and on. These false teachings that deny the Gospel. We're not talking about secondary issues. We're talking about people forsaking the narrow way to come through the narrow gate and they go the broad way where the big crowds are. It's madness. And those who are living in rebellion towards Jesus Christ and they think they're going to escape the judgment somehow, it's madness. It's madness. I was there. And praise be to God that in His grace, He sent Jesus Christ and He sent His Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin so that we don't continue in our madness and go flying off the cliff Amen?
God is gracious. And so, beloved, in a day when our culture, when our culture, and even many in the church, thinks it's mean and even evil to tell... This is what it comes down to. To tell another person or a teacher that they're wrong. And basically, that's what that video was saying in that video Angela sent me. That movement that's going on. They basically said, here, nobody tells you you're wrong. And it's just love, love, love. And you can tell, even by watching the video, it's perversion. It's blasphemous. And it's the broad road. It's not unloving to tell somebody they're wrong. It's loving. Are we to do it with the right tone? Absolutely. Beloved, God even used a donkey. God even used a donkey to rebuke a wicked, greedy prophet. And you and I are the people of God. We are commanded in Scripture to lovingly, I will emphasize that, lovingly point people towards the truth. And I'll close with two Scriptures. In Jude, again, that's why I had Jude 23 on my mind. It was this verse. The context of Jude, beloved, is false teachers and those who are entrapped in false teaching. That's the context of this. I hear this used in application towards evangelism, and it's true. It is true. But it's even even more so, the context is those who are have been entrapped in false teaching of some kind. Or who are even false teachers. And listen to Jude's language. Save others. Save others. Snatching them out of the fire. This is not unloving. And on some have mercy with fear. Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. The whole language is that of you're, we're trying to rescue those entrapped in error. That's what the Reformation was all about. The Gospel had been polluted. The Gospel had been reduced to what Rome had said it was. The Gospel of Christ was it was never lost, but it was being kept from the people. The Scriptures weren't even allowed to be given to the people. And a false Gospel damns people. We're not saved by works. There's like an extreme over here. The, the people over here that, 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 that claim a works-based salvation, they accuse us because the Bible teaches we're saved by grace through faith. They, they accuse us, oh, you think you can just believe in Jesus and just live however you want. But then you got people over here who are trusted in this gospel that gives you a license to sin. And and we're over here going, but the Bible teaches repentance. And they're saying, oh, you're just preaching works righteousness. Where the the truth is in the middle. We're not saved by works. But works come as a result of being saved. That's the balance. We're not against good works. We're not against good works. We come to Jesus Christ and He transforms us into a new creature and all things become new. And now all of a sudden, we want to serve Jesus Christ. We never do it perfectly, but He keeps sanctifying us and our life changes. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, because we're not doing it to earn our salvation, we're performing good works. 
But that's what that language is. Save them. Snatch them out of the fire. They're perishing. On some have mercy with fear. That means be careful. You're dealing with false teaching. Don't be corrupted when you're dealing with false teaching, right? It's like the guy going, you know, say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go evangelize at the strip club. Well, you can have a heart for those people, but you better be careful. And I advise you not to go in there. Same thing when you're dealing with false teachers. If you're not grounded in the Word, if you're not what the Bible says, if you're one of these unstable ones, you had better be careful. Get grounded in the truth before you go try to reach somebody in a cult or they will have you tied in knots. That's the language. And then one more Scripture, guys. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. Just, again, this is, this is God's command for us, okay? We're not donkeys, but we're the children of God. 2 Timothy 2, 25-26, we will close with this. Paul tells Timothy, with gentleness, okay? With gentleness. Correcting those who are in opposition. How, you, how can you correct somebody if nobody's wrong here? That's the idea. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. The truth. You hear that? The truth. There is a truth leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses, right? They, they may come out of their madness and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. That is the will of God for you and I. We are to lovingly reach out to all, right? To all who don't have faith in Christ. But we're to reach out to those who are, who are caught in error if we have the opportunity, even those who are teachers. But to do it with great caution and great care and to know the Scriptures. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for the truth. Thank You for the truth, Lord. Thank You for the Gospel. <clears throat> we thank You for Your Word that's very clear. Lord, how, how we're saved. That there's only one Gospel. It's the Gospel of Your dear Son. Father, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would examine our own lives, Father. To see where we're at, God. If we have a heart for those who are perishing under false religion, or if we, just, we, we, or we don't want to rock the boat, we don't want to bother them. Lord, Lord, I just pray, God, that we would have a healthy balance, Father, to have a desire to reach out in love, with grace, with the truth, to rescue those who are perishing under false religion. Father, we, we thank You today, Lord. We, we, uh, we praise You for what we're going to remember as we, as, we take your, as we take Your Supper and remember what You did on the cross for us, what Your Son did. We, we just praise You for it today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.